0: have you ever gone to put on a pair of shoes only to find them occupied by an electric deodorizing 15 watt shoe dryer and thought to yourself why'd i buy that then do we have a show for you
1: it's why'd i buy that the podcast where we explore and examine the impulses and influences behind the things we buy in other words we investigate all things advertising the principles and pitfalls the economics and execution the stories and psychology behind ads and the world of advertising i'm your humanity loving host abe and i'm your
0: all living things loving host ryan in this episode we're going to talk about the coveted sports endorsement we'll engrave our names into some baseball bats grill some delicious grease-free meats and rob a brazilian convenience store but first let's talk a little bit about the basics
1: if you recall from our episode dealing with brand rivalries, we've touched on the idea of sports endorsements before. This isn't anything new, particularly as it played out in the Nike versus Reebok War of the, um, what, 1880s, 1980s and 1990s. The
0: 1880s was, yeah, you, it's a little known fact yeah, that. They've been around forever. Yeah, Reebok and Nike were a big part of that. Uh, even before the Spanish-American War, Reebok and Nike were going at it. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of sports endorsements and share some of the most interesting examples and some uh, numbers that kind of show the effectiveness of this advertising approach. A good sports endorsement is at its heart, at
1: the root, an appeal to credibility. You're um, believing that as the consumer sitting there watching TV or listening to the radio or Surfing the web, this celebrity has credibility. They know what they're talking about. There's somebody I want the to.
0: Sports related individual. Follow. Is somebody that people trust and yeah. they'll do anything they say.
1: Yeah. It, it, particularly when it comes to equipment that is athletic in nature or, or relates to sports, like a shoe. It helps to have that prominent sports personality not only say good things about your product, but also to use that
0: product in their. Mm, athletic activities. Yeah, and that's actually one of the big differences between like say a regular celebrity endorsement And a sports endorsement is that you know a celebrity says, "Oh, I use this perfume or this makeup," or uh, you know, there's no real way to tell if they actually are using those things. Whereas, follow them, you can stalk them. Yeah, obviously. Uh, But with with an athlete, you can actually tell if if they're wearing they use that perfume, if they're wearing Nike's or Reeboks or whatever during a game, you can tell that they are actually using those products uh, in in the way they're meant to be used. There's a big appeal to credibility just in that. This sports endorsement idea, it's not
1: something new. It's been around for more than a century, more than 100 years. Uh, these although, things have been going although on.
0: Although, who's to say that uh, ancient Greek Olympians didn't you know, sign a deal to to sm- smear themselves yeah, with some, some specific brand of olive oil before uh, a Greco-Roman of, wrestling match? Thousands of years old. One of the
1: first modern sports endorsements happened over 100 years ago when a fellow named Honus Wagner began playing baseball for the Louisville Colonels.
0: Uh, yeah, and their mascot was, in fact, Colonel Sanders. Uh, this was before he, he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. He was a mascot, and he just really liked the costume, so he just kept out wearing it.
1: Just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what, could, what yeah. would stick, what would come out of his career.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Honus, or Honus the Bonus, as they like to call him, they didn't actually call him that. But uh, that would be a great nickname if you were still around. Uh, Honus was was a rising star of baseball. And
1: his coach would point his finger in his chest and say, the Honus is on you. To to, to win <laughs> to this game for us. It's on you. yeah, yeah. Honus...
0: You better perform, baseball coaches. The entire
1: Honus is yeah.
0: on you, Honus. Baseball coaches in the 1890s loved Latin-based puns. Yeah. It was a really weird thing. Yeah, uh, the, the, they, they and it's just kind of a pity that we've lost that as part yeah, of our culture. Some
1: somewhere in America's pastime that yeah. that has disappeared.
0: But Honus was was a big deal uh, in the 1890s. He was he was a big star, and during his time with with Louisville, he made friends with a guy named Bud Hilleric. So along comes
1: Honus into town and uh, partners up with Bud, who's – they're making these Louisville
0: Sluggers. Yeah, Bud convinced – got his dad's woodworking shop to create baseball bats that he called Louisville Sluggers. And Honus Wagner loved the Louisville Slugger. He liked those bats. He was a fan of them. It helped him
1: hone in on his home runs. Yeah, exactly. He called them hone runs. Hone runs. (laughs) I just hit a hone run, coach. And
0: the coach didn't laugh because it wasn't a (laughs) Latin-based pun. And (laughs) it it. just fell flat every time. Poor Honus. Uh, But even when he moved to Pittsburgh, he got traded or went to go play with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1900 uh, he kept At playing that with, point,
1: actually, half the team was legitimate Pirates. In the offseason, yeah. they would be out swashbuckling. They would swashbuckling. Go and pillage
0: and, right. and rob, burn down things. Yeah.
1: Shiver me timbers, uh, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and, and so Honus would take uh, Louisville Slugger. That was his bat even when he was playing with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, and, and out
1: at sea. He'd club yeah, and, and seals he'd with it. He'd take
0: the bat with him when yeah. they were engaged in acts of piracy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> quite, a, quite a life, this
1: Honus lived. Really fascinating time Un- period. Unbelievable. <laughs> Things were so different then. Yeah. Just,
0: um, you know, then they'd come back to shore yeah, and they'd engage yeah, in baseball. Just uh, uh, cruising
1: around the Caribbean. And
0: yeah, was, yeah.
1: Oh, man. What a way to live.
0: Yeah. Well, at the time, Pittsburgh uh, was a big baseball team. A they mecca. Were, yeah. They were a major team. Compared to Louisville, and so unlike now when the Louisville Colonels are the biggest team in, in Major League Baseball, uh, at, in his time at Pittsburgh, he became more of a nationwide baseball star. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of people. There were a lot of people who loved Honus Wagner. They're really excited to see him play, and so they were seeing him play with the Louisville Slugger.
1: Well, you can see where this is going. Since they were friends, Bud Hillerick reached out to Honus Wagner and established the first modern sports endorsement in 1905. Bud was able to sell bats with the name Honus Wagner, this celebrity, this this all-star baseball player, uh, his name engraven on the Louisville Slugger.
0: Yeah, and so he'd put them in stores wherever you buy baseball bats in 1905, I guess. Yeah, the baseball or...
1: batatorium
0: yeah you'd go in and you'd find your bucket filled with bats and
1: maybe gimbals had some Gimbals probably did have
0: some uh and they'd be you know they'd have the Honus Next. Wagner name engraved on them uh, and that's all it took uh, the bats became a huge success and a few years later by it was 19- it was a hit it was a hit a, a home run yeah it was a real home run hit by 1923 uh, more baseball players were using Louisville sluggers than any other bat, and this is including the big names like Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig, and Honus Wagner. And Honus Wagner, he I don't was know. out. Of, he was out yeah, of the game. game I think by he then. was yeah, done he by, was, by 1923. He retired.
1: Other brands wanted to jump on this uh, Honus Wagner bandwagon. And his name and
0: we had an episode about bandwagons.
1: His name and likeness were soon on a lot of other marketing materials, in addition to this Louisville Slugger.
0: One of the companies that wanted to use the Honus Wagner name and likeness uh, for their marketing was American Tobacco, a company that sold cigarettes and other tobacco products. Now, just a few years after uh, the Louisville Slugger deal, uh, American Tobacco started packaging their cigarettes with baseball cards. Uh, uh, so you one buy point, some cigarettes and you get some baseball cards. You get a baseball cards. card or a couple cards in the package with them. Uh, and you know, in a fairly short amount of time, they actually developed 500 different baseball cards that uh, you could collect. Uh, if you smoked a lot, you could get up to 500 different cards for your collection. Baseball cards weren't
1: a new idea. They'd been used by a number of companies since the early days of baseball,
0: uh, the mid-19th century. So American Tobacco using Honus Wagner for their baseball cards was all happening without Honus Wagner's permission. Louisville Slugger had actually signed an agreement with him. They were paying him to use his name on their bats. American Tobacco was not. And so he actually forced them to cease production of the cards featuring him. Yeah, I'm not going to be on that card. You can't use my likeness. Today,
1: these cards we're talking about are some of the rarest and most valuable baseball cards in the whole world. One of them sold for more than $3 million recently.
0: And that's huge uh, for somebody who's not necessarily remembered as a great player as much today as, as some of these others. So this incident where Honus Wagner forced the company to stop using his likeness and name actually helped establish the system of licensing agreements and contracts that advertisers and athletes and other spokespeople use today. So this set a major precedent for how you could use likeness and how you could represent uh, and how endorsements worked.
1: Well, all of this... Talk of tobacco and Honus Wagner makes me want to start my own line of baseball cards. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at some of the numbers that show how powerful the sports endorsement world is and share a
0: few cautionary tales. And we're back with Wide Eye Buy That talking about sports endorsements.
1: The example of Honus Wagner shows that an endorsement from a prominent athlete can
0: actually help sell products and establish a brand identity. Worked for Louisville Slugger, it has worked for many other products since then. Since 1905, sports endorsements have become big business and it keeps getting bigger.
1: In 2007, global sponsorship spending was just under $40 billion. Well, today, 2018,
0: the estimate is it's around $65 billion. Yeah, that's how much they think that brands will spend for sports endorsements. That's a ton of money. Yeah, it is.
1: And in North America alone, those numbers are about $17 billion in 2018.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because uh, the United States, it seems like we have a lot of money in sports endorsement. but We're loaded. But we're not necessarily thinking about the rest of the world. A lot of major uh, soccer or football players around the world have very, very lucrative endorsement deals with brands uh, in Europe, Latin America, Asia. Uh, it's a big deal globally. So, so so, why are sports and sports endorsements such big business and, and why are they somehow different than a regular celebrity endorsement? Well, there are several kind of key factors that make sports endorsement a distinct type of advertising to look at. For one, sporting events are usually watched live, which means you're not going to skip ads. So you're going to see ads during a sporting event. People will, you know, athletes might say a Gatorade commercial during a football game. You're going to see athletes uh, endorsing that product during that game. And you're not going to be able to skip the commercial because you're watching it live. Yeah,
1: and that live element, you're... We mentioned it before, you're seeing the player actually drinking the Gatorade on the sideline after he, you know, sports this.
0: After being in a commercial about it, you'll actually see them this using the yeah. Or
1: whatever it is. Another reason people are very passionate about their favorite sports teams and sports players. There's an energy there that, uh, I think a few, I don't know, I guess in the celebrity world, you could you could talk about big movie stars. Maybe there's a passion there, but there's something different, something unique about following an athlete in a sport that I play or that you play that, man, I just really love this this basketball player. That's my guy. I follow him and I know he endorses Adidas. So I'm wearing this, you know, Adidas shirt. It's a little different to me than Oh, that's Matt Damon, who makes movies. I, I don't, I don't make movies. You know, I'm, I don't star in movies. So yeah, there's exactly a, a stronger bond because I'm engaged in the same sport.
0: Yes, and and if you're following a football team and their star player for for weeks and weeks, every single week, you're engaged, you're passionate, you're excited about what's happening with them. You're developing uh, a relationship with them in your mind. You're, you you see them as a friend or somebody. You almost feel like you know them even if you've never met in real life. So there's a, a very strong bond that consumers have with their favorite athletes that translates very well to that appeal to credibility.
1: Sports celebrities are authentic in a way that movie stars or musicians or politicians or anyone else uh, never really are. Athletes don't need to change their personality to play their games. They're not acting. They are They're being just being themselves. themselves. They're, yeah. they're using their talents and abilities to you know win the game or make this pass or yeah
0: and if they're a really nice guy you know like like donovan mitchell uh is a really nice guy people are seeing him do kind things uh on social media or if you're a LeBron jerk lebron
1: james and the school he opened yeah, up yeah in akron
0: or if you're a jerk like uh charles barkley uh in the 90s you know saying i'm not a role model that was just him he was being himself he wasn't trying to put on airs uh and you know that that uh, plays a big role because people feel like they they're getting the real deal when they're Uh, following an athlete.
1: Of course, this doesn't always mean that all personality is good or that there's never a a bad personality or a misstep. Or consequences for
0: for expressing your personality. Here's an example of of an athlete that kind of loses all of endorsements for bad behavior. Ryan Lochte, do you remember this guy? He was uh, on the the U.S. swimming team, yes, uh, on the 2016 Rio Olympics. Well, During the Olympics, kind of toward the latter end of the Olympics. Something weird happened. Something weird happened. He and some other uh, athletes were arrested. Yeah. And their story was that they were robbed at gunpoint and that the police had actually been been the ones robbing them and that they had set them up. Yeah. And at
1: first there's all this energy of, man, those Brazilian police, how corrupt are they?
0: Don't they recognize this is an Olympian that they're, you know, they're abusing? And then the story started to fall apart a little bit. An investigation revealed that they lied, that these guys, Ryan and and the other athletes, lied. And basically what happened is they got drunk and they trashed a Brazilian convenience store. Um, the police arrested them, like normal good police do. All right. Turns out you even when you've got an Olympic medal, you don't get a trash
1: at convenience store. Yeah, and there was tape. I'm you still know, trying to find what it is I can obtain that will allow me to do that. But it's I'm going to have to look it past the Olympics. Still eludes you. It's elusive. Uh,
0: yeah, this was all on video, so they you know they were caught in a lie. Basically, they're caught you know lying and blaming the police for their own stupid bad behavior. Well, what happened? Uh, Lochte lost endorsements from Speedo polo ralph loren gentle hair removal and air Weave. so some pretty big sponsors yeah rough um,
1: rough hair removal stuck with him but gentle yeah. hair removal they, they said, said no nah. no we only want now gentle out of here. people yeah we you're but you're perfect for rough hair removal yeah
0: so, and and today he's still he's still their spokesman yeah <laughs> you need rough hair removal
1: just ask my guy want, Ryan want it to be uncomfortable this is an interesting and unique example of how a sports endorsement that was, you know, placed with Ryan Lochte and then having been taken back actually helps the brand. By dumping Ryan Lochte, Speedo and the others can make a statement about what they stand for. You know what? Hey, turns out we do not f- smile on trashing convenience stores. Speedo might be stores. about
0: making people uncomfortable at the beach. Yes. But, but we are not about trashing convenience We draw the line stores. when you
1: step through those automatic doors at the convenience store with the height bar indicator next to it. That's... That's uh, one domain we do not want to go in.
0: Yeah. So by responding to that, you know, it it elevated their brand and and gave them some positive associations. Uh, So sometimes brands will do that. If an athlete behaves badly, badly, they'll dump them. Sometimes they like to stay with the bad boy. That happens sometimes, too. Uh, Or girl, bad boy or girl.
1: Ryan Lochte isn't the only sports celebrity, of course, to fall from grace. One of the biggest ones is Tiger Woods. He had this amazing string of success in all sorts of tournaments, Uh, And the endorsement deals followed it. Uh, In fact, at one point, Tiger Woods was earning about $2 million from playing golf, but making $54 million from endorsements. For every dollar you make golfing, you're making $27 just by endorsing something.
0: Yeah, it was great. He was at the top of the endorsement world. He was and one of the biggest, and endor- most well-paid endorsers uh, around at the time.
1: And he, not only that, he had this wholesome image. At least I, that's the feeling I had. Uh, he seemed like just a good dude. Yeah, a people liked him. He was a
0: clean-cut guy. A guy who'd um, done
1: well and earned his way and, and fought his way to the literally the top, the best golfer in the world for years. Well, out of the blue, amid all of this success and, and fame, he gets in a car accident, and it's kind of you know headline news that day. And it turns out he was being chased
0: by his wife wielding a golf club. Yeah, the details kind of eaked out over time. It was like, oh, he was in a car accident. Oh, that's weird. Was he? Was yeah. he on something? What happened? What happened? Everyone gets in car accidents. Yeah, that could okay. happen to anybody.
1: Well, in a relatively short time, it, it turns out that he'd been having multiple affairs over several years, and his wife, of course, knew about this, and that's what motivated this uh, golf club attack. The fallout from this fall from grace, this this uh, tarnished image, and this these really kind of dirty revelations about Tiger Woods' personal life, cost him deals from AT and T and Gatorade, Gillette, Buick, and more. They backed out.
0: Yeah, um, you know they were. He lost a lot of money, lost a lot of prestige, lost some cachet in the public eye. Uh, he still has some endorsement deals. So even that much, even that kind of bad behavior doesn't necessarily. Uh, I mean, you can't ever get money from endorsements, but uh, his, yeah, there's, his there's always hope. World so is, for yeah, those of you thinking about it... There's, there's still Tiger Woods video games out yeah. there you can rent. <laughs> well, all this talk of lost opportunity uh, makes me want to bust out the old telescope and uh, look at Mars to see if I can find it. The, you know, the opportunity rover. Oh, the rover that's the up on rover.
1: Mars. The literal,
0: actual rover. Named opportunity. I see what yes. you're doing there. Uh, yeah. When we come back, we'll talk about one endorsement deal that is one of the biggest sports endorsements of all time.
1: We're back with why Did I Buy That. I'm Abe. This is Ryan. We're talking about sports endorsements today.
0: Yes. George Foreman. He's a legend in the boxing world. He boxed professionally uh, the first time from 1969 to 1977. He was
1: a big deal in the 70s. Yeah. In fact, he won a gold medal in 1968. He went pro in 69 and won the championship title. Then of course he lost to Muhammad Ali in the Rumble in the Jungle in '74. Still
0: considered a major cultural event, the Rumble in the Jungle, more than just a boxing match. It was a, it was a big deal for for a lot of people who weren't even boxing fans. A few years after the Rumble in the Jungle, George Foreman retires. He he, he kind of slips out of the spotlight, but then he comes back. Ten years later, 1987, he's back. He's suddenly boxing again. And in 1994, he actually wins the heavyweight championship again uh, at the age of 45.
1: Given this on-again, off-again retirement and, and how many decades his career had spanned, he was a bit of a unique figure with a recognizable name among the old, the young, the middle-aged, the hipsters, the hippies, the dipsters, the the flippies, the disco dancers, and... The zoobs and the
0: stoners and the Everybody. goth kids. Everyone Everybody
1: loved him. Knew about George. By George.
0: Yeah, I mean, people remembered him from the 60s and 70s, and new kids are like, hey, this old guy yeah, won the championship. just barely won the heavyweight championship. Yeah. Right around the same time when George Foreman was winning his second uh, heavyweight title, uh, a guy named Michael Bame, an inventor, had an idea for a slanted grill that would allow the grease to drip away from meat. Yeah, he's... Thinking, man, the
1: horizontal grill, what's up with that? Yeah. Why don't we put it on a little bit of an angle? Well, initially, this grill that Michael had developed got off to a slow start. Bame tried to market
0: it uh, through people in the housewares industry. But eventually, he had the idea to send it to a guy. He knew a guy who knew George Foreman. It was an attorney who had worked with George Foreman before on some endorsement deals. He says, oh, well, maybe maybe we can get George to get on board with this product.
1: George is approached about this grill, and he's told, hey, you know what? There's not going to be any money up front, but it's going to be your grill. It's going to be the George Foreman Grill, and you're going to get 45%
0: of the profits on the back end. And George gets this grill. They hand him an actual grill and say, go try it. Tell us what you think. Do you want to do this deal? Uh, He was not interested at all. They gave him the grill, and he just kind of tossed it aside. He put it in a storage room or something and forgot all about it.
1: A couple months later, his friend calls and asks about it, and George says, yeah, you know what?
0: Oh, I remember that thing you gave me. I Haven't used it. I haven't tried it. Not really no, planning interested. on it. His wife is listening to this phone conversation. She interrupts and says, "Hold on. I, I've used that grill. I like it." Uh, and she said, "Here, let me let me make you a burger on the grill." And George is like, "Okay." So she makes him a burger. George never said no to yeah, a, a burger. Yeah, he's not going to say no to a burger. No, I'm not going like, to turn uh, that down, especially in a random part of the day. You don't know what time of day this was. Could have been right. nine thirty a.m. Uh, anyway, she makes him a burger, and he's just amazed that there's no grease. It's like, it's not greasy. It's not a greasy no, burger. It's this delicious. It's yeah. in that era when fat
1: was d- terrible. It's the worst thing for you. So George Foreman started selling the George Foreman Grill. Uh, there were infomercials and appearances on talk shows, and he was lighting up the housewares industry.
0: Yeah, people loved the George Foreman Grill, and it started taking off really quickly. Part of that was George was so likable. Yeah, he not was so like this, this but, item. And, and it he was, a- was genuinely enthusiastic about the product. He really... Believed and in converted it. to it. Yeah. A few years later, 1997, uh, he had his last fight. He lost that last fight. Uh, and He is ready to retire. And he's kind of bummed out. And then right like that same night, uh, somebody comes up to him and said, hey, here's your residual check for the George Foreman grill. That check was a million dollars for residuals uh, for this product.
1: Sales kept increasing. These grills were flying off the shelf, and a year later, the company has made two hundred million
0: dollars in sales from the George Foreman grill. Yeah, their success is so big that they're looking at the future and they're saying, "Do we really want to keep paying George Foreman forty-five percent of our profits in perpetuity?" That's a lot of money, uh, and we're successful enough that we could maybe buy him off. Uh, so what they did is, is, is not long after that, they paid him one hundred thirty-seven million dollars, little over that, in cash and stock for his share of the company and the rights to use his name and image forever. So it's always going to be the George Foreman grill. They can always use his picture on the box. Uh, He's no longer getting part of the profit, but that's $137 million that went into his bank account. That's a lot of money, and he is pretty happy with that. So, the George
1: Foreman Grill is one of the biggest sports endorsement success stories in history.
0: It sold itself because he was so enthusiastic about it. He was genuinely interested in what he was selling, uh, and he liked it. He actually used it. You know, it's, again, that, that authenticity that really works with the right endorsement deal. We've danced around this
1: idea of authenticity on in several episodes. It, it's so important. in order for an ad or a campaign or a product to see to succeed, authenticity really needs to be a part of it. Yeah. George Foreman is an authentic uh, spokesperson for this grill. He really believed in it and loved it. He was a likable guy. Uh,
0: the grill took off, did so well. Yeah, Honus Wagner was authentic about his love of the Louisville Slugger. He had tried them when they weren't a big name. He liked them, preferred them. That, that was, it was a no-brainer for him to endorse them.
1: And it was the dishonesty and the lack of integrity that cost Tiger Woods all of these endorsements. And Ryan Lochte. They, he went from being this top-of-the-world celebrity to, wow, that guy, he's, he's a bad dude. Did you hear what he did to his wife? Did you hear how he treated his family?
0: Yeah, that that lack of authenticity in their personal lives, the and, sponsorships uh, walked away from it. Yeah, because as it, a result of that, there wasn't that passion there. That's the kind of the key to to a, a sports endorsement is there needs to be authenticity, there needs to be passion, and there needs to be integrity. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to work. But it can work, and it, and it has worked really, really well in the past. Uh, so, if you're a marketer wanting to get into that sort of thing, you need to look at somebody who can and could be passionate and authentic about your product. Well, that's our show for today.
1: Why'd I Buy That is produced by Saxton Horn Communications. Our engineer is Justin Dial.
0: If you have comments on today's episode, questions about advertising, ideas for future episodes, or you'd like to tell Abe that walking into a store and using a Sharpie to write his name on a baseball bat doesn't count as an endorsement deal, please visit our website at saxtonhorne.com.
1: Until next time, we wish you greaseless meats, scandal-free sporting events, and a home run with your Louisville Slugger the next time you are at bat. This is why I Buy That. Thank you for listening.